On January 30th, 2017, the Boy Scouts of America made a landmark decision. They made a landmark decision that rather than when boys would submit their applications to ask for a birth certificate, they no longer decided to ask for a birth certificate to see if a boy was a boy in the age of a boy, but what they decided to do was when young boys would register, that they would register them based upon what the child said about his gender identification indicated on the application. This was a landmark decision that swept across much of the Western world and what you and I and I live in, which would be called the gender revolution. Questions I have for you today are these. What does it mean to be a boy? What does it mean to be a girl? What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? What does it mean to be masculine and feminine? Some people, even at the mention of male and female, are offended. Between male and female, are there similarities? Are there differences? How do we treat one another? Is gender or your sex connected to biology or are they disconnected? This is the world that we live in today. And if that's not enough, we also live in a world in which today is the Super Bowl in Miami. It's a glorious day. It's a fun day to celebrate and watch a game. But as many of you may know, there's a dark side to the Super Bowl because there's more women being trafficked. There's more things happening in Miami this week than anywhere else in the world. There are women who have been brought to Miami for the purpose of being abused and raped and used. And if we think we're immune from that, many of you know the stats about Houston, that Houston is the place in our country, the biggest place in our country where there are brothels and there are sex trafficking here like no other place in all the United States of America. See, there's deep significance to core identities in these questions, how we relate to one another. Male and female. There's so many distortions and we live in this confused day both about gender and also how we treat one another as male and female. And it's important. It's really important to have a biblical vision for what it means to be made in the image of God both male and female. So that we understand clearly and God has spoken clearly about these things. We have a clear vision, not just for us, but for our children who are being raised in this world that we live in today. But this is the thing. Today's sermon is not primarily about gender confusion or gender identity, even though we could do that. It's not primarily about the abuses of women or men or the passivity of men and how those things relate. It is a sermon about clarity from God's word that he gives us up front and what it means to be made in the image of God, male and female. It is a sermon about the distinct complementary roles in which God has built into the created design for you and for me, and that's a grand thing. And it is a sermon in which we want to be called to embrace the glorious truth of God's design. His design, to sh and also to show grace and be a witness to those who don't embrace God's good design for them. That have chosen to embrace a distorted view, a confused view. I don't know about you, but this is not an area where 
It remains untouched in my world, in my family, in my network of relationships. Both, both the way men and women tr- have treated one another, how we think about sexuality, gender, and gender roles and identity. And I would assume in a room like this that it's touched your life in some way or another as well. Whether it's in your own life, in your own struggles, or whether it's a family member or a friend. What does it look like to be people of truth and people of grace? Well, turn with me uh, to the book of Genesis. And we'll begin in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. That won't be our primary text. We'll primarily be in Genesis 2, which is the next text, verses 18 through 25. But I think there's something going on here in the first three chapters of Genesis where God is giving us a really clear vision of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. That there are two sexes. And how that relates to one another. And I think he's going to give us a clear vision as well. That sameness is not the goal. But God has built into you and to me, male, female, boy, girl, distinct distinct qualities that God has given you to complement one another in this beautiful dance. And next week we'll get into marriage because that's where this whole male-female thing is heading in Genesis 1 and 2. So that's where we're going. So Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. And we taught through this the first week, but I took the whole chapter of Genesis and I didn't feel like I did a good job flushing through the image of God, but I felt like we got to chapter 2 and we're going to go back and look at the image of God and all of that means being male and female. Look at it with me. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 28. Then God said, let, a, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. The first thing I want to drive at this morning is this, that men and women are created equal. Equal in personhood, equal in dignity, and equal in worth. That there is no inferiority when you're made in the image of God, male and female. Amen? I want you to look at this text specifically, though. This is, then God said, this is unique, this is different. He's made man and woman different than the rest of creation. Let us. There's plural, us. Do you see it? So this is the Godhead having a conversation. Let us make man, that's a general term for all of mankind, mankind, in our image, after our likeness. And then it it goes on to describe the rule in which uh, humans would have. So you see rulership, you see relationship with God, you see Adam and Eve in the first few chapters relating to God in ways that the animals don't and ways that trees don't. So there's such a unique design in this. So he's given them a relationship with God. He's given them the ability to have rationality. But look at it. The biggest thing you see in this passage is resemblance. Resemblance to God in some form or fashion. Now, we are created beings. We don't resemble God fully in the fullness of who God is, but we are meant to resemble Him. And God chose to do that in a plural way. Bear with me. In a plural way with men and women. That we reflect His image. Can an individual reflect the image of God? Absolutely. 
But male and female makes it look like, remember God, he's plural in a more full way. So he's given them rulership and relationship and resemblance. Look at this unique resemblance made in the image. It's the idea in the Hebrew that God carved them out in a unique and beautiful way. There is dignity in this. There is design in this. There is distinction in this. Nobody is a generic human. Nobody is a generic human. It doesn't exist. You're male or you're female. That biology, gender, or sexuality is linked. This is what the Word of God is saying here. Attica Christie, who you may read, died a number of years, 30, 40 years ago, but she says this about living and how grand just the idea of being human and living is. I like living. I've been miserable. I have been happy and everything in between. But through it all, just to be alive is a grand thing. Have you ever stopped and had your philosophical moments? You don't do it very often, do we? But just think about how incredible it is that you are alive and you can think and you can feel that you're not a tree, you're not a rabbit. You have all kinds of different feelings and thoughts. These are human feelings and things that you can think and feel and long and regret and grieve and laugh. That means you're alive. It means you're alive in a way that other things aren't as a man or as a woman or as a boy or as a girl. That's a grand thing. Stop and think about this sometime. It's a grand thing to be alive, to be human. If you keep looking at the text, male and female, the implications are vast, and I can't go through them all today, but it certainly means that there's a quality between male and female, that there's no room for inferiority here between the sexes amongst humans, male and female, that there's equal worth and there's equal dignity and there's equal personhood. You know, the Bible bears this out after the fall as well. I've got a few verses I want to show you this. The dignity and the worth of a human being. I think we've got a couple of passages. Genesis chapter 9. Look at Genesis chapter 9. Um, this is after Noah gets off the ark and God is blessing him. And he says this, whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. It matters. Being made in the image of God even post-fall matters. And God is saying, if you take a life, you will give yours. Because being made in the image of God matters. It gives worth and dignity that God provides. I think we have another passage in the New Testament about the tongue. James 3, you know the passage about taming the tongue? It says this, no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father. And with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Who made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers. These things ought not be. Do you do this with your kids? When they're mean to one another? And they're talking about, man, he's short. Or he's fat. Or she's this. Or she's that. And you're like, hey, hold on. Okay? They're made in the image of God. What you're really saying is, is God did something wrong. You're made in the image of God. And made in the image of God matters. It matters on the... In the schoolyard, it matters 
at your work, whether you're the boss or you're the person who's working for someone else. It matters where you live. It matters how you relate to one another. Men, it matters how you treat women. Women, how you treat men. It matters when you look at somebody else's skin color. They're made in the image of God. And there's all kinds of distortions to this in our world, right? In our home, maybe you had a fight with your husband or your wife today before you got here. How are you treating one another? They're made in the image of God. And in our culture, I can't even begin, I've mentioned a few, but the abuses particularly of women in our city and in our world. The abuses of men as well. I mean, it's, it's a really bad word, if I can say it that way, to be a man today. Like, you're, you're put in a certain category because you're a man today as well. You see the abuses in both ways. You see the distortions broadly on the playground with kids, skin color, class. How many social media followers do I have compared to somebody else? How much do I bench compared to the other guy? I'm going to make comparisons. You know, maybe the question ought to be, just broadly, for me and for you, particularly with male and female, but broadly, the question that maybe I ought to be asking myself is this. What attitudes of superiority or inferiority do I need to deal with that ask God to help me kill by the power of the Spirit in my life? Because that stuff creeps up. That stuff manifests itself in our life. And how am I going to do that? Who can help me with that? Perhaps a spouse or a friend. Well, being made in the image of God means males and females are not inferior. It means that we're equal in worth and dignity and personhood. But does equality mean sameness? Does equality mean sameness? Or is there room for distinction between men and women? How does God design this? Not how do we see it out here. But how does God, what does God say about it in his word? Your second thought today is this. Men and women are distinctly designed by God to complement one another. We are different. And that's by God's good design. Do you believe that? That we're different. It doesn't take long to, to look around and think about your relationships. Maybe with your spouse and think about how different you are. That God has built in these distinct, this distinct design. I want to look at man's purpose and role for a minute. Why don't you flip over to chapter 2, uh, verses 7 and then 15 through 25, and we're going we're gonna to read that. Because what I think you see here is God showing us that men and women, particularly as this moves toward marriage at the end of chapter 2, are uniquely designed. They're different. The goal is not sameness. The goal is to use the distinction to complement one another like the couple that dances beautifully on Dancing with the Stars. Is that still the show? Yes, somebody watches it. I don't know. Netflix, I don't know what's on and what's not anymore. But men and women are distinctly designed. Look at man in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 7. We're going to go back into last week's text just to pull this out a little bit. Look at verse... 7 there, 2, 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a, a living creature. That is a grand thought. Flip down to look at verse 15. And here's some function. Here's some roles. This is what gets flushed out. The Lord God, Yahweh, took the man 
and put him in the Garden of Eden to do what? To work it. To keep it. He's given him a level of ownership of it. To care for it. To protect it from things from the outside that might come in. I.e. the serpent later. Where was he at? Right? To protect it. So there's a responsibility And Eve hasn't been created. There's a responsibility here that God gives uniquely to Adam. A responsibility, a benevolent responsibility. He's the foreman of the garden. He's the foreman of the earth. And he's meant to work it. So he's given a responsibility to lead and protect and care for. And he's also given a vocation to work it. Not the toil of labor that would come later, but to work it and cultivate it. And then verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man... Eve's not created yet, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for then the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. He's giving Adam the responsibility. He's giving him responsibility to what he can do and the freedom that he has and what not to do. This is a command to Adam. What happens later? Who does Satan go to? He goes to Eve, the one with lesser knowledge, or maybe it's just bad communication from the man to the woman. Right, ladies? And where's Adam? In Genesis 3, he's nowhere to be found. He's passive. He's supposed to be leading and caring and protecting. But this is his role. Lead, protect, care, work. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil shall eat, and the day of it you shall surely die. So man has been given the benevolent responsibility that God has given him, if I had to define masculinity or malehood, I would borrow from a few folks that know the subject better than I and say this, the heart of masculinity is a benevolent primary, it's not the only, it's not the soul, the heart of masculinity is a benevolent primary responsibility to be a servant leader, to sacrifice, benevolent responsibility are key words when you think about masculinity. And you see the glory of this, don't you? You see the glory of this when you look around and see men who love God and care for their, not perfectly, who love God and lead their families and care for their families and protect and provide. That's a beautiful picture of the image of God in man. And this is the goal, men. This is where we're heading. We don't do that Wives, ladies, we don't do that perfectly. That's only found in Jesus, and one day it will all be restored. But that's the aim. It's a responsibility to the areas of responsibility we have and to Christ. That's what the New Testament says, that we're responsible to Christ. And so that's the aim for a man. And you see the glory of that. You see the witness of that in men's lives, but you also see the distortions, don't you? It's easier to think about those. Those are right in front of us. You see the abuses. If you go to the book of Proverbs, this is what you see. You see the abuser, the one who uses his strength that God has given him to hurt and to harm and to speak unkindly. You see also the abdicator or the avoider in the book of Proverbs, don't you? The lazy glutton, the one who won't engage The one who doesn't take his responsibility seriously, maybe a little bit like Adam, who was passive. I know a guy, um, he's about 30 years old and uh, single, 
uh, outdoorsman, moved to a place so he could go hiking and camping and fishing and be in the great outdoors, but he's 30. Odd jobs here and there, but his real goal was just to be in the great outdoors. He's 30 years old. And I remember him calling me and saying, I just can't figure it out. I can't figure out why there's no woman who wants to be with me. And so I started asking him questions. And I have a relationship with the guy. And I said, hey, you're a pretty good looking dude. Not that I do that, you know, but you're a good looking guy, so that's not the problem. Um, let me ask you this. What woman do you want know wants a guy who sleeps down by the river in his van so he can play in the great outdoors? Do you know any women who want that or think that is, is something that they believe that you might be responsible? Are, are, do you think there's any lady out there that thinks you're responsible for you as a 30-year-old male? Or do you think maybe something needs to change? Maybe an idea would be go get a job, a full-time job, and go hiking and camping on the weekends. Long pause. Didn't hang up. And he thought about it. But that's the thing, right? The boy had to become the man. He had a lot of things going for him. But he had to take responsibility. There's no woman that wanted to be with a man that lived down by the river and didn't take responsibility for himself. And so we're called to take responsibility, to not be passive. And that's a fight, men. That's a fight. That's a fight when you know if you have that conversation with your wife, maybe there's going to be tension. Just easier left alone. Just easier to go to the deer lease for a few more days, not deal with it. Abdicate, those are real challenges in everyday life. But God calls you to lead. He calls you to lead. But here's the thing. Um, man, this is a grand design that God has, has made in you. It's there. And it's grand. It's meant to be embraced. And it's meant to be celebrated. We need to teach our boys to be men in this way. To be responsible. To serve. To lead. To care. Moms, let your boys be boys. You can put the stuff on their hands later. Let them be boys. If you don't have any brothers, go, hey, what does it look like? Ask your husband, what does it look like for him to be a boy? I don't get this. Grunting. Let him take his Tonka truck and bang it against the other one. That's what it means to just normally be a boy. But the culture wants to remove your masculinity neuter it from you, that you're just the same. This is the culture that we live in. But listen, I have to say this, as married men especially, this leader role, just to remind me and to remind you, this primary role to lead is not a power trip. It's a weight. It's a weight that God gives you, and if he wouldn't have called you to it, I promise you wouldn't have taken it. But he has called you to it. So what that means is, is if there's problems in your life, and in your family, that if Jesus were to knock on the door, your front door, and your wife answers, Jesus would probably say something like this, sweetheart, I'll talk to you in a minute, but I need the man. I need to talk to him. 
about marriage. I need to talk to him about parenting. I need to talk to him about finances and leadership. That's a weight. That's a weight that we bear, and it's hard, and it's not easy, and the Spirit of God is at work, and I know you feel defeated at times in it. And wives, I know you feel frustrated in it. Bear with the husband that God has given you unto the Lord, right? Well, there's something missing here from Adam, isn't there? Look at the text. Look at verse 18 in chapter 2. So man has been given this responsibility. He's been giving, given a vocation, a freedom. But look at the need in which he still has in and of himself that he can't fulfill. Then the Lord God said, verse 18, 218, the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. That's the first time you see that in all of Scripture. It's not man. It's not good. Everything else has been good, very good. This is the first time you see not good. It's incomplete. I will make a helper fit for him. Some of your Bibles may say partner. Someone to come alongside of. Partner. So Tom Cruise is right and Jerry Maguire for you older people. That she completes him. I mean, young people are like, I don't know what you're talking about. Go watch it on VidAngel. Old movie. I'll make a helper for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field. Seems like God is taking a, a detour here. He's talking about this need, and all of a sudden he looks at the animals. Every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. There's responsibility. There's leadership in the naming. And whatever the man called every living creature, that's what his name was. The man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found a helper, helper fit for him. Excuse me. That's a word twice. What do you think God is trying to do? He's trying to show him very clearly, wake him up and show him there's nothing corresponding to you here. I think Adam probably saw the livestock pair off and they corresponded. He didn't have communication in the way he did with God. There's nothing corresponding to him. There's nothing to compliment him. And he's showing him, God is showing him his need. He feels it. He knows it. God is showing it to him. And then here it is. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, he took one of his ribs, remember man's from dust, woman's from the rib, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, and he made it into a woman and brought her to him. That's a beautiful picture. So here's the thing, a helper a partner, someone to come alongside of, that God took the rib, this is symbolic, from the side, not above, not below, but from the side. A helper, a partner. It corresponds to him. Listen, she's made of the same stuff as you are. She's made out of you. There's nothing inferiority, inferior, and meh, inferior about this, is there? God's made us equal, worth, dignity, and here's what you see here. You see the same stuff. That Eve is made of the same literal stuff as the man. Comes out of man. It's a beautiful picture. To compliment the man, to help the man. If you have an image, ladies, if you have the image in your mind of barefoot pregnant in the kitchen, that's not the image here. There are no children yet. Okay, there's, there's none of those things here yet. As a matter of fact, I hope this encourages your heart, ladies. The same word that's used for helper here 
is often used in the Old Testament, same Hebrew word, to define and look at God as helper. You see it in Psalm 33. You see it in Psalm 70. That God is our helper. There is worth, clearly, and dignity and value in this. That you are by His side. This is the way the Bible defines this. So the heart, I think, of femininity is a benevolent and freeing disposition, here it is, to help and to follow. To help and to follow. Not because the man has greater competencies. We know that's not true, men. We know that's not true. Because this is God's good design. This dance, this beautiful dance of complementary natures and roles coming together. Equality, distinction. You see the glory of this. Proverbs 31, you see what does a man do? He wants to talk about his wife in the gates because of who she is. I think about my wife. I may get in trouble for this, but that's okay. I think about my wife. I think of her great level of discernment about situations and people. I need that. I need that very much. She compliments me. She helps me. You won't see her up front. You will see her having coffee with people in a living room, or a coffee shop. She cares for people in ways that I only long to. She wants to serve. She makes baby blankets and burp claws with a sewing machine. She loves caring for people. She loves making food for people. And you'd never know it. She compliments me. She's a helper suitable. She's a gift. And you could get up and share the same. But there's distortion in our world, isn't there? Ladies, turn on the TV, turn on your app, look at YouTube, see the videos on the social media stream. A woman that's described in the Bible is seen as oppressed. She's seen as oppressed. You've seen someone who's treating herself in an inferior way. But that's not God's design. God's design is glorious for you. It's meant to be embraced and celebrated. Men, it's meant to be celebrated in your wife's life that often, that often she needs encouragement in. That I need to give my wife encouragement in. The thankless hours spent caring for the family and helping me. As a church, we need to embrace this and encourage the women in our church in this role that is often thankless and unseen. This is the grand design and purpose and role of a woman. So whether she works inside the home or outside the, the home, to be encouraged and built up. A lot of application here. Women, you are equal. You have different roles we can encourage you in that. So male and female, equal but different. This is heading toward marriage. We're going to get to that next week. But here's the big picture, and we'll close with this. Here's the big picture. Genesis 1 and 2 show God's original design for you and me. Genesis 3, paradise is lost. And what do you see? You see the passivity of Adam and you see the usurping, I think, of Eve. And you look at the biblical narrative and you see that distortion really quick in chapter 4. 
Cain and Abel and Lamech and taking of wives. You see gender and sexual distortion all the way through the Scripture, and you see it today. So here's what happens, and here's where the rubber meets the road. Whatever your struggle is, whatever your issues are, your sin struggles there, whether it's lust or same-sex, whatever it is, do we take the distortion and do we embrace it and do we celebrate it? We don't. We look back at the original design and we ask God to do a work which He has done in His Son, Jesus, to make things right so that we may struggle with these things But we have a Savior who makes these things right. We can struggle with the power of the Holy Spirit. But we don't embrace these things. I want want to illustrate something, maybe with a story, maybe a hypothetical story that could be just very real in our lives. Because I'm, I'm guessing for some of us there's nagging questions, particularly about competencies and how these roles flush out. There's something not settled. And so I just want to kind of tell a hypothetical story that you may resonate with. Let's say this. Let's say there's a 25-year-old woman and she decides to come to Christ Community Church on a Sunday, first time to visit. She gets ready. She gets in her car. She comes to the parking lot. At the same time, there's a 27-year-old man who's coming to church here for the first time as well. Check this church out. And they come into the parking lot about at the same time. And there's only one way in over here. And so they kind of meet as they come in. And they say hello. And they begin to talk. And they walk in and they get a fresh cup of coffee from the ladies over here. And they stand in the corner because they come early. Right? They come early. We all come early. Um, They come over and they have a conversation. And they talk. And in his mind, he says, man, she's pretty cute. And I like what I hear. And she's thinking he's kind of handsome. And I like what I'm hearing. And then he takes initiative and he says, hey, are you sitting with anybody? You sitting with anybody? And at that point, she has the freedom to make a couple, a bunch of different decisions. She can say, no thanks. (laughs) Ouch. Um, She can say, hey, I'm already sitting with somebody, but maybe next week. There's a signal. Either way. She could say, no, I'm not sitting with anybody. I'd love to sit with you. And they sit down, and they worship. And after church, they're in the parking lot for about 30 minutes. And they're talking. And he takes initiative again. And he says, hey, what are you doing for lunch? Again, she has what? She has the freedom to say, hey, I've already had plans. There's a signal. Hey, I have plans, but maybe next week, another signal. Or hey, Yeah, I'd love to go to lunch. He said, great, I'd love to treat you to lunch. Let's go to Jason's Deli. So they come over here to Jason's Deli. They get in their own cars. They come over here to Jason's Deli because that's weird because you don't know each other yet. Um, And they come to Jason's Deli. And they sit and they talk. And they get to know each other and come to find out this woman is a black belt in karate. All right? She's a black belt in karate in the course of lunch. And they have a lovely lunch. They're going outside because there's so many Christ community folks there and other church people. They have to park way in the back. And two kind of imposing figures, two men, approach them. Two men approach them and they go up to them and they say this. We want your watch. We want your wallet. We want all your money. 
both of you. And she's really pretty, and we want her too. At that point, maybe in the man's mind, he says, she's a black belt. But likely the scenario is this, if he's worth his salt. Grabs her elbow gently but firmly, pulls her behind him. And he says to them, over my dead body will you touch her. They fight. Dude gets knocked out. And when he comes to, he sees two guys over in the corner with their teeth knocked out because the black belt took, took over. <laughs> and the ambulance comes because he's all bloody. And she gets in the ambulance with him. And as they're driving, they're talking. And she's thinking to herself, man, this is a man that I... This is a man, this is the type of man that I would want to marry. Listen, let me give you a couple points about that story. The man took initiative. This young man took initiative. He asked if he could sit with her. He asked if he could go to lunch with her. She responded freely to either accept and join that dance, right? And it's good that he's the one taking initiative. That's her perspective. Nobody thinks about that because that coordination is beautiful. Number two, he wants to buy her lunch. He's paying. That's a signal. He's initiating. He's providing. And she has the freedom to support or not that initiative. And it wasn't based on anything about how much money he has or she has or how smart they are to have a good job. It wasn't about any of those things that never entered either one of their minds. And third, it's relevant to the masculine soul that this woman had a greater capacity to defend her and him. Irrelevant, completely irrelevant to his soul because he's a man. And he says, over my dead body. It's a matter of manhood, not competency. And she took him out. The point is this. Deep differences between man and woman are not about superior or inferior competencies. And that's where we get stuck on this deal. They are about deep dispositions, inclinations written on the heart by God. They're often distorted. That's what it's about. So leadership and protection and provision and service and sacrifice is not about superiority. It's about how God has made us in His image, both male and female, to, dis- to have distinctions and comp- that complement one another in the beautiful dance. More on marriage next week where that finds its primarily, primary place. Listen. Our primary identity marker isn't even male or female, even though it's, it's very central. I want to give you a takeaway, and I want you to think about this. The takeaway this morning is this. Embrace and celebrate your grand design that's given to you by the grand designer. Celebrate and embrace this grand design that, 
is given to you by the grand designer. Reject the distortions rather than embracing them. But there's a greater grand design. There's a greater grand design that God has given even from male and female. Because your primary identity marker is not really found there. Can I tell you the grandest design of God? Galatians 3, speaking about faith in Christ, put it this way. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female. We are all one in Christ. This is not talking about the the right and good distinctions that God gives us. It's talking about the eternal, distinct Son of God who became a man, who is one with the Father, came to this broken place. God in the flesh lived among us. In all the ways we have distorted the image of God in us, the struggles sexually, all of our struggles... He has died in our place on a cross that we might have forgiveness of sin and be made right with Him. That's the gospel. That's the good news of Christ. That's the grandest of all of His designs for you and for me. And He makes you His adopted son or daughter. Adopted son or daughter of the King. That's the grandest design. Do you know Him? Do you know the king who can take all your mess, all your sexual struggles, all the other struggles that you have, and make those right with him? And make you an adopted son or daughter of the king? Let me pray. Father, we thank you for this message. I'm reminded of Moses' words at the end of Deuteronomy that wrap up this whole section. I'm reminded of these words for us. To take heart all the words by which I spoke to you. Command them to your children. That they might be careful to do all the words of the law. For it's not a trifle word. It's not an empty word. But it's your very life. And by his words, you shall live long in the land. Lord, we know. We know that we flourish. As we've been learning, we know we flourish. When we follow the grand design of our creator who has made all things right by his son to help us trust in Christ and trust Christ not just 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 5 years ago when we made that decision, but also trust him today with the struggles that we face in Jesus' name. Amen.